Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger, and I'm super thrilled today to be uh, joined by my friend John Avery. John, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm excellent. So if you don't know John, it's on Instagram, it's the Dapper Teacher, right? That's your Correct. Instagram handle, but you also have, is it a, it's a TPT page that is Teach Dapper, right? Yeah, the Dapper Teacher. I'm the Dapper Teacher everywhere. Oh, the Dapper Teacher everywhere. Oh, mm-hmm. nice. Excellent. And so, oh, I'm going to ask you about it later. I just, I love the word dapper. So when I saw your Instagram <laughs> handle, that's like one of my favorite, my favorite things. And I definitely want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, the, the way you, the way you dress, man, because it, it, it's impressive. So for sure, we're going to get Thank into you. that. But, okay. uh, so, uh, a few years ago when Wilkie and I were at a conference, uh, in New Mexico, we met a guy named Chad Littlefield who, uh, runs a company called We and Me, and what they do is they uh, create resources that are conversation starters. That's their specialty, mm-hmm. and they have a set of cards that they call Connect Cards. So every podcast, we just ask a random question from their deck of Connect Cards. All right, so, let's do it. So the one I got for you is, what is the most beautiful sound in the world? Oh gosh, um, I'm definitely have to go with thunder. Wow, could you elaborate on that? Man, I would I've never thought that thunder would be wow, oh, man, you gotta elaborate on that a little bit. So like I have a thing for thunderstorms. I find them like very, very calming. Even though they're like boisterous and a lot of people don't like them, I find like I get some of the best sleep. I get some of the best work done. Like it's just I don't even know. I, I love the sound of thunder. Wow. Yeah, you know, I mean it's I I would I've never thought of it that way, and I don't think like like uh, like you said I don't think it's ever really scared me. There's always, you know, I grew up in Wisconsin and I'm I'm back living about an hour from where I grew up after eight years in Houston. And I don't think in Wisconsin mm-hmm. those the storms ever scared me, mm-hmm. but there were times in Texas like when I mean because the storms like especially in Houston because you're only about fifty miles from the Gulf, they can yeah. get they can get fierce in a hurry. So. I was a little more afraid, but that's that's an awesome answer. I think if I was going to answer this question, um, I'd got to say uh, I have a almost three year old nephew and an and an almost one year old nephew, and uh, the the almost three year old just talks like crazy. You if if you say <laughs> something, he will like verbatim say it back. So I love that. And my my younger nephew is in like the just the squealing stage. So he's just like squawking and squealing all the time. That's so, a good stage. <laughs> so, so that's, that's my fun thing. So that's, that's definitely the book. Oh man. But your thunder answer, that's a really good answer. I've never thought of it that way. So, all right. So, uh, the next question, this is something we always start out with. Um, could you tell us about your favorite teacher and why that person was your favorite teacher? Definitely. I love talking about her. Um, my favorite teacher is my 11th grade English teacher. She was also my creative writing teacher, Diane Cross. Um, she had the most inclusive classroom environment that I've ever experienced. And as a student, I didn't really think about it then, but it was kind of foreign to me because so many teachers had classes where you just kind of feel like you're getting information. But her, fact, her class, I felt like I was like connected to that space. And it was truly like a home. And I try to emulate that in my classroom even today. And she was funny. So that was important as well. <laughs> oh, man. That like, she was hilarious. And we still keep in contact today. Like, it's just really cool. So, so do you mind elaborating a little bit on, I mean, because I think I understand what you mean. But, but what, are, what were some of the things that she did or, or some of the, the parts of her class that made it feel inclusive compared to all the other ones? <laughs> 
she recognized all of her students as like individuals. And to me, that was very important because in a school, there were about maybe 2,200 kids in that school. So it was really easy to feel like lost. But whenever I went into her classroom, I just felt like I was a part of like the student body was a family. Like I still remember everybody's name from that class. I remember what they were doing at that time. She made me feel like a person. And to me, when somebody can make you feel like a person, it's it's such a magical feeling. Oh, absolutely. Where did you where'd you go to high school? I went to high school in Chesapeake as well, same district I teach in now. Oh wow. How many high schools do they have in Chesapeake? Seven. Oh gosh, I guess maybe I didn't I didn't realize that Chesapeake is as big as it is then if there are seven. It's really big land wise. Oh yeah. 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 I mean I I love that that answer of being inclusive because you know I I kind of was the opposite. I I went to a high school when I graduated. There were only four hundred total kids. Wow. You know, so small town Wisconsin, and then mm-hmm. you know I had the my first job was in Houston. You know where we had I I started at a middle school where you know between se- just seventh and eighth grade there were like a thousand kids. So it mm. it was just such a such a, a revelation, but I, I love what you said about making it feel inclusive because I I know not just as a, you know I was never a student in that sense, but in a big uh, middle school in those big schools, I, it's easy for teachers to feel like they're not seen and not included because definitely I I had friends who worked at the high school next door that they would go to staff meetings and they would see people they had never met. Like my first two years of teaching, I felt the same way. It's about 130 different teachers in my building. And I swear it took about two years before I saw everybody. Oh my goodness. I mean, and you know, you get, you get into your wing of the school and you kind of get siloed into what you're doing. I'm sure. Yeah. And my classroom is in the very corner of the school. So if I don't walk all the way up to the main office, I don't see people. Oh man. I feel you there. So, all right. So, so next question, keeping it moving as a teacher, if you if you were going to classify yourself or or let me rephrase this if you had to pick a superhero for your teaching style and who you are as a teacher who who would you be or what superpower would you have so i had to think about this one cuz i don't really know a lot of superheroes but um i would definitely say i would probably have to be black panther cuz he came along and changed the game and for a lot of people he brought a new look at what it meant to be a superhero and he gave people across generations somebody they could identify with and i think because i'm so young i do that for a lot of students because i can relate to them on a different level cuz i'm not too far removed from the stuff that they're actually going through so i think it's kind of cool especially being a high school teacher uh, some of my students, they ask me how old I am, and like they immediately guess like 37, 40, when in reality I'm just 26. Oh, so yeah. to have that kind of revelation that he's not that much older than I am, he can probably understand what I'm going through, I think that's cool. Right. And I think that's what Black right. Panther did for a lot of people. Yeah, you know, I, I'm a big fan of the Marvel <laughs> movies, but Black Panther especially, like the the one thing that I didn't like see in the movie or like I didn't expect was how they enter like how they wove it into like the fabric of what was going on like in America in you know the 90s and then how you know I I hope most people have probably seen it now if you haven't I'm gonna spoil it you know like but but you know how at the end 
like they bring it back and then they like are now going to start to share like all the resources yeah. that they have with those. And, and granted, I know that Wakanda is not a real place, but, but like you said, the, the vision for that and, and not just, you know, for, you know, showing Africans or African-Americans that style, but like a lot of the stuff I read about how prominent a role women played, I thought that was, yeah. I thought that was super, super awesome. And I got to, I got to say, I'm, I'm, you know, the, the next Avengers, you know, with the whole shebang came mm-hmm. out today and I love superhero movies, but I'm not like that in love with a superhero movie that I'm going to go, you know, wait in line or, or do any of those yeah. midnight showings. But no, that's a, that's a great answer though. I, and that move, like, Oh, that movie was so fantastic. I really enjoyed it. It so, really was. Um, all right. So, so keeping, keeping with the theme, what would you say is the state of education in America right now? Who that's a, that's a loaded question. Um, in short, I think we have a lot of the wrong people in the wrong places. Um, as big as our educational system is, I think sometimes we forget that it's not really a system that's making decisions for itself, but there are people that we put in these places that are making decisions for us. And I think for a lot of people, the only election they really like focus on is the presidential election, but voting for these offices like school board and city council and other local leaders is just important. Because we have to be careful who we allow to sit in these seats. Because compared to them, our voices are like whispers. And we have to put people in places who actually care about our students, who care about the teachers, and who actually understand education. And sometimes I look at some of the decisions being made and the conversations being had, and they don't make sense to me. Like, they don't make sense. And I wonder how these people get to sit at the tables and they don't know what they're talking about. So I think our educational system is broken, but I don't think it needs to be fixed. I think it needs to be reformed. Right. Right. You know, and, and, you know, just having, you know, some of these conversations, a lot of, you know, we talk with people on the podcast about, you know, there, there are great teachers out there doing great things all over, but, but like you said, there, I, yeah. I, I liked what you said about, it's not just, you know, cause it's so easy and I don't want to give her a pass, but you know, Betsy DeVos, like it's easy to, to make her kind of the, the blame person. And, and I'm not going to in any way, shape or form say that she's doing anything that would be considered a good job. But I love what you said about, you know, being active and, and participating in your local elections and those kind of things. Cause those things, those things matter. And I, I, do. I, I think that's, you know, and, and, and on a local level, you can, you can really make your voice heard. And I, and I love, you know, what people in Arizona and Oklahoma mm-hmm. and now Colorado and West Virginia and Kentucky. I mean, I think that's the kind of stuff that, like you said, that's starting to hopefully make a meaningful change. So I think, no, that's a, that's a great answer. So, yeah. so kind of on that same vein, you know, talking about the, the state of education, but for for yourself in your classroom, do you have a, a you know what you would consider an educational philosophy? Um, I guess you can call it a philosophy. I focus on education. I think that is like the greatest form of service. So, getting somebody to the point where they can think for themselves and think intelligently and make intelligent decisions, I think is one of the best things, and it's kind of what I focus on. Like, I don't really want to tell them what to think. I just want to teach them how to think. So I guess my philosophy, you can call it, is like 
there's power in being able to think for yourself. So no matter what we do, no matter what unit we're on, I'm always trying to get my students to see that you have thoughts. Your thoughts are important. They're valid. I just need you to vocalize them. And I think that that'll carry them much further than just my classroom. Like when they get into life, they'll be aware and they'll know how to vocalize what it is that they feel. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I mean, I, you know, a word that myself and my partner Wilkie use a lot is, is trying to help kids, you know, be advocates for themselves and, yeah, and you know, definitely. you know, so, so in that, what, what are some of the things that you try to do to really, um, you know, I guess make them, I think one of the biggest challenges teachers face with getting kids to really first, you know, you know, think for themselves, but you know, that they can think for themselves, I think without too much, but how do you get them over the hump of being able to vocalize that and to be able to really um, speak, you know, for themselves, essentially? Mm-hmm. That I connect back to my favorite teacher, Ms. Cross. That's one of the things that she did in her classroom. And she created that sense of community and trust where we felt like we could vocalize what we thought and we felt like we could vocalize it and we wouldn't be judged for it. So no matter what it was, whether we agreed, whether we disagreed, she created a space where we all felt like our voice was important. And that's definitely what I try to do for my students in my classroom, to show them that what they have to say, it matters, and then to get them to the point where they trust themselves enough and they're comfortable enough with who they are to be able to share their ideas and opinions. Right. And do you, and just, you know, I teach high school as well, but do you notice at times students struggling, you know, with, I guess, the appropriate way to vocalize what's going on? And, and you know, what I mean by that is, you know, maybe not lashing out with anger or, or, or things like that. Do you notice that? And if you do, like, how do you help students to, like, find the right ways to vocalize what's going on? What I found a lot is that students pattern themselves after what they see and what they're exposed to. So one thing I bring up a lot is social media. Social media allows you to be anybody you want to be. It allows you to say anything you want to say without any real consequences. And a lot of times they bring those same skills that they use for social media into like open forms and they try to operate the same way. So what I try to get them to do is write it down first, let it sit, then go back and read it and see if that's really a reflection of who you want people to see you as. Because a lot of times when we get caught up in the moment or we get caught up in discussion, we let things fly. We don't really think about it first. So having them put their ideas on paper, think about them, revise them, you know, really get to the meat of what you want to say. And then let's talk about it. And a lot of times, a lot of what they will like fly off the handle with, they take some of that stuff out. But it's still true to who they are and true to what it is they want to say. Oh man, that's, that's such a great tip that, you know, the, the writing before speaking. And, you know, I think to, you know, mm-hmm. with what you said to social media, how many times, or, you know, recently have we seen, you know, an Instagram post or a Facebook post or a Twitter post, you know, that somebody sees that's super terrible and super negative that it's instantly taken down. But, you know, even, yeah. even though it's taken down, it's still there and people have seen it, you know, and, and with mm-hmm. that, I, how many, how many times have you heard people say, you know, when you're writing an email or, 
or you're, you know, writing an Instagram post, like think if you really want to hit the, the, the publish button or exactly or, or once it's in black and white is there. Yeah. You I know, think. and that's, and that's, and I'm just thinking about you back in the day when people, you know, you had to write a letter or you had to actually, <laughs> pick, you had to actually pick up a phone to call somebody to say that stuff to them or, or heaven forbid you said it to their face. You know, it's yeah the consequences of that are, are way, way, way different. So no, that's a, that's a really good, that, that writing stuff. I mean, and that's, mm. that's good advice for teachers, you know, yeah. when, cause I know, especially in my first few years, like I, I learned the hard way how to not escalate when a student, you know, was in that, in that frame of mind. And there were a lot of times where I, I put myself in a spot where I was really not proud of the way I acted, you know, with a kid just because I didn't take the time to think before I spoke. Yeah. And I think we all have those kind of stories, you know, where it's, it's in the moment and you react without really thinking about it. And a lot of times what helps me is whenever a kid acts out or whenever a kid says something that might be out of character, I always evaluate the moment that I'm in. And is there anything that I'm doing or not doing right now that has allowed this student space to act in this way? And I would say about seven times out of 10, I can look around my classroom or look at something that I'm doing and say, this might be, even if it's a little bit, this might be some of my fault. And it helps take all of the pressure off of the kid because we make mistakes too. And we have to learn how to own up to our own mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. That's, that's such a good point as well. So, all right. So, uh, you know, my next question is what is, what does it mean to teach Dapper or, or what, how did the teach the Dapper teacher come about? So one of the biggest compliments, I can say the most frequent compliments I would get on Instagram was like, you're so dapper. And for a long time, I really didn't understand what that meant. So I can't take full credit for it. But a lot of my followers, that's what they used to call me. So I just kind of stuck. And it had a nice little ring to it. And also, um, I have a mentoring organization for boys at my school. And one of the things that I tell them is that their appearance precedes their attitude and their aptitude. So before you get a chance to introduce yourself or explain yourself, they see you coming. So Teach Dapper is kind of like a professional mindset and it's also like professional dress. So I feel like when I dress up, I teach up, I think up, and that's what I try to portray to my students. So, and so it's a pretty catchy brand name. So Oh man, it's a, that's a super that's a oh man, I wish I had thought of it. I mean <laughs> I, I don't dress dapper like you do, but I mean that's such a good name. So you said with your mentoring group you say appearance, attitude, aptitude? Yeah, appearance precedes like attitude and aptitude. Because people, before you get to open your mouth and speak to them, they're looking at you and they're seeing how you present yourself. So people are already making judgments about you based on how you look. Good or bad, that's kind of what people do. So I try to give my students like that insight. Like when you go on a job interview, you know, dress up, present yourself in a way that you want to be taken. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's super, super good. So um, you know, coming, you know, kind of on that same kind of vein. What is the importance you feel like of of embracing culture for teachers? And and I know obviously our, our culture, you know, the, the culture you embrace is different than, you know, mm-hmm. the culture that I'm familiar with. But, you know, what is the importance of that and, and how 
how do you use that to connect with your students? So all of my students at some point or another, they probably all heard me say that I've been black all my life and I know how to be black. Like that's what I know how to do. So for me, embracing African-American culture isn't as much about the culture as it is about embracing who I am as a person. So that, of course, overflows into an expression of culture because it's important that my students leave my classroom having been exposed to cultures and perspectives other than the ones they were born into. And I think that that helps anybody who experiences somebody else's culture. It helps them understand people. And when you can look at a person and know a little more about where they come from and what experiences have shaped their narrative and their perspective, I think it's easier to identify with people. So they're usually really into the fashion part of it, like for Black History Month when I wear dashikis and stuff like that. But to me, I'm really trying to get them to be aware of the experience and perspective of people other than themselves. What is what is the uh, the demographic of the school you teach in? Um, it is mostly white but it's about 40, 42% African-American. Okay. So there's a good, good, good portion of that. So, yeah. So, you know, you, you mentioned a couple examples of, you know, how you embrace your culture, but, you know, say for a teacher, you know, I mean, and it's hard to generalize, but, but what are some Mm -hmm. of the other parts of, you know, culture or I guess the other word I would use is, you know, is kind of authenticity. What are some other examples of ways that you think teachers can, you know, because you said it, it, it comes down to really embracing who you are as a person. So what yeah. are some of those things that, that teachers can do to help embrace who they are as a person and, and show up authentically to their kids? Um, one of the things I would definitely suggest is you have to be comfortable with who you are as a person. And whatever that means different things to different people. So there are everybody comes with a certain like package of things that they carry. They carry their age, they carry their gender, they carry their race, they carry their sexuality. All of those things makes a person who they are. So becoming comfortable with yourself also allows you to become comfortable with who you present to other people. And for teachers, there are so many, teachers get a bad rap at so many different angles that sometimes it's scary and to be like who you are, especially in front of students, because you never know how they're going to receive like who you are as a person. But I think one of the, and this is like a key to like classroom management and also like classroom community. If students feel like you're being your genuine self and you're sharing yourself with them, they'll connect with you a lot more. So I would definitely say whatever it is that makes you up as a person, be comfortable with that. And then share your authentic self with your students. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, and that's such a good way to put it to, you know, I mean, cause you know, we are, like you said, limited by the constraints of, you know, being me being, you know, 33 years old and I'm, I'm five foot seven, I'm going bald, uh-huh. you know, all those different things, you know, make me who I am. But I mean, it's taken me a long time to get comfortable with myself and, you know, to be able to, to really show up authentically. And, and, you know, when I got to my new job, cause I teach in an alternative setting where I have 25 mm-hmm. at risk kids, you know, I, I had gone through a really rough breakup right before, like I had been living in Texas mm-hmm. and met a girl in Wisconsin 
And, you know, it kind of all worked out together that I could move back, you know, to prioritize the relationship in my family. And right before I moved back, like after I had sold my house, taken a job, I got, I got dumped. So, so I was talking with my teaching partners. I have a teaching partner. I'm like, do I, do I share this? Like, do I really tell Mm -hmm. them? And he was like, yeah, I mean, if you want to be open, you want them to get to know you, you got to be upfront and real with them. And it was, they were all just kind of like stunned by it. And they were like, man, that's. They're like, man, that's terrible. So, you know, and, and that has translated into them, like, you know, as the years gone on, me getting comfortable, like them giving me a bad time about being single. Like they're not, they're not trying to be mean about it, but you know, it's that like friendly banter. Like, yeah. Hey, you know, mm-hmm. you're not, you're not getting any younger. You better hurry up and figure <laughs> it out and you know stuff like yeah. that. So, so I feel like that was a super, a super important way, but, and, and I think, and you know, th- that idea that you mentioned of authenticity, every, every single person we've talked to has, has shared some degree or, or some Im- part of the importance of vulnerability and authenticity for, mm-hmm. for really connecting. And I, and I know that's scary. And, and I think the toughest part for me is, or, or when I think about it is, you know, like you said, in the social media world now, like at 22, 23 new teachers coming into the profession, like what they must be going through to try to figure out, you know, who they are as a person and then try to figure yeah. out who they are as a teacher and, you know, kind of living, you know, they, they live in the Instagram world. And I just, I can't imagine what that's like right now. And that's, it's a path that I'm, I'm still kind of like traveling. So a lot of my students, they have a, I don't know where they got it from, but they have a conception of what a teacher is, what a teacher looks like, what a teacher talks like. And I think I break all the rules. So it it really weirds them out when they first meet me because on the first day, I always wear a suit and it's typically a black suit. And they look at me and they're like, oh my gosh, he's probably like going to be the meanest teacher I've probably ever had. But then like I start talking and I'm very country. Like I've contained it most like throughout this whole interview, but I'm very country. I've been in Virginia all my life, like from the South. So sometimes the country comes out and like that breaks like a barrier because I'm one, I'm an English teacher. So they expect me to speak like a dictionary all day long. Yeah, I don't. For sure. For sure. Like I have my hair growing out. It's braided back. When I came to school in braids, you would have thought like I had lost my mind. (laughs) Like, I have tattoos, so that's a whole nother discussion. Like, you can have tattoos in the workplace? Like, yeah, it's a thing. So it's changing. And I think that the more we share with our students and the more of our own experiences we give them, it allows them to get a more clear and more realistic picture of, like, how the world actually works. Because a lot of the standards that were 30, 40 years ago – they're changing, so we have to teach them how to operate in this kind of world. And seeing us as real people is one of the best ways that they can actually see that and get that information. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, this is kind of a little off script, but it's making me think about it. So, so could you talk a little bit more about, or you mentioned it, your, your mentoring program that you have for the, for the boys at your school? Because I'm really interested, and we've been talking a lot about, you know, there are, you know, men in the teaching community and in, in classrooms mm-hmm. are, you know, far, there are far less men than there are women. Yeah. And, you know, with the way the world is changing and, you know, I've thought a lot about what, what my role is as a male teacher in, 
you know, modeling and, and teaching, especially the boys, the right way to, to, to treat women, but also, you know, how can I show the girls what the right way to get treated is as well? Cause exactly. I, I noticed in my high school, like, and, and I like this girl, but I had a girl who was joking and laughing about how her family makes a joke of president Trump's comment from the, the access Hollywood tape about mm, gra- yeah. grabbing women. And, and they thought it was funny. And I'm just like, how, ca- how can you think that is, you know, that is funny. So, so talk a little bit about your, your mentoring program and, and what you think the importance of that is. So a little bit, well, we call it game. It's an acronym. It stands for gentlemen and mentors in education. So, it started because my first year of teaching, I noticed that there was a a disconnect between boys and discipline. Like it was almost as if like some teachers were having trouble handling some of the boys in discipline and some of the boys were having like trouble receiving like correction. So I couldn't let that happen because that's like a passion of mine, like even outside of the classroom, like helping young men to be able to operate in society. So I started the group. The first year I had about 15, 15 guys came out. And like I just really started sharing my experiences. I didn't have a script. I didn't have like a curriculum. I didn't really have a guide. I just shared myself and some of the things that I, I've been through. So what I tried to get them to see is, one, how to handle conflict, because that's a major thing that I think is missing. And like you had mentioned before, like we talk about the chivalry piece and like really how to be a man in the 21st century, because it's a lot different than it used to be. Like some of the societal norms have changed. A lot of men, they feel like, or a lot of my boys, I should say, they feel like if they don't go into a trade job working on cars, like it's not manly. I have a lot of boys who want to be teachers but they don't see it as a lucrative profession. So really getting them to one, like I spoke to earlier, one, like learning who they are and learning to accept who they are, whatever that might be. And then learning how to change the mold of what it means to be a man, not only fit the mold. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but there was an online uh, video series by a guy named Justin Baldoni uh, called We Are Man Enough. And it was just like three episodes of, of a few different guys like from the entertainment industry. And they just sat around having dinner and talking about like what, what it means to be a man and, and masculinity. I thought it was, and uh, Lewis Howes, who has a podcast called the school of greatness, just released a book called the mask of masculinity. That was super good on the topic too. And I just, it, it just, I really just feel like at this point, as a, as a male teacher, that's that's got to be one of the most important jobs that we have is to not just um, teach the content, but really really model that and and, yeah. and show those things. Because I like I'm so blessed. Like I, I not only did I come from a really solid like good family with you know loving grandparents on both sides, and my mm-hmm. you know my parents are about to celebrate their 40th anniversary and. All of my all of my boys like that I grew up with and went to college with are all married to like fantastic women. So I have all these really good examples of what that looks like. Yeah. But I think so many boys 
and and young men, no matter where they are, you know, they don't they don't get to see that side of it. And I think it's really exactly. important for us to show them, you know, that that's there and and what that's about. And one of the things I really try to push is that you can be whatever you want to be and you can be successful at it. Um, one of the comments that a lot of my male students make, I wear an Apple watch like almost every day. And they're like, oh, my gosh, like, how did you get an Apple watch? You're a teacher. You don't make money. And like it really leads into a really good conversation about I became a teacher because that's what I wanted to do. Like, I didn't become a teacher, like, because I wanted to make money. I didn't become a teacher because it's like, it looks like a good job. I followed my heart. And I try to get them to see that if you can follow your heart and do what you love, like, the rest of life will fall in place. Right. And, and you know, just on that token, too, like, uh, my teaching partner here in Wisconsin always talks, you know, when kids talk about money, he always goes, mm-hmm. you know, there's two different ways to be rich. You can either make more money to buy all the things you want or you can just want less stuff and i love that i'm stealing that and 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 that's the kind of thing too that that i realize in like as a new teacher i wish i would have realized that because you know you mm-hmm. coming out of college you know you're making a few hundred bucks a, i made a few hundred bucks a week you know waiting tables and bartending and then i got that first like thousand dollar plus check and i just yeah like, i was like oh my god like i don't even know what to do right now I know. I worked at McDonald's for eight years before oh. I became a teacher. Oh, you know, and like that first teaching check was like gold to me. You know, and and you know the lessons like, you know, what you spend when you go out and do all those things. And and mm-hmm. granted, I'm I'm lucky that I've realized it. You know, in my early 30s, that now my yeah. spending habits are a lot more in control. But mm-hmm. and I think another point to that too, you know, with what you were saying about not just men but our kids. You know, they. The world they live in is so defined by the the items you have, and I guess it's always kind of been yes. that way. But it's but it's so much more explicit now with Instagram that that mm-hmm. people can you know people can take a picture with a car that they don't even own, right? Yeah, and and post exactly. it and make someone feel like they're they're not good enough because they don't have that particular car or whatever it is. So yeah, man, I think that's that's super important work you're doing with those guys. Thank you. All right, so getting towards the end here, we wanted to make sure we're respectful of your time tonight. Um, what is what is something you're you're really passionate about right now? It can be within education, or it can be outside as well. Well, I guess it's kind of both. Um, I'm really passionate about continuing my own education right now. I just finished my master's program. Thank you, Jesus. It was the <laughs> longest two years of my life. But yeah. I'm just wrapping that up. I'm graduating in two weeks. So that's like a major milestone. And I'm looking at continuing my education and getting my um, doctoral degree. So that's really my passion. Well, it's kind of my passion, but it's kind of interesting because my students have like pushed me to this point, I guess you could say, because they're always asking me like, so what's next? Like, how long are you going to be a teacher? And it kind of forced me to reflect on my own life, like my own goals. And I realized that I'm not going to be in my classroom forever. So it's it's pushed me to the point where I don't know what the next step is, but I know I need to be prepared. So I'm just trying to learn as much as I can, get as much experience as I can. So that way, whenever that next door opens, I'm ready. What did you get your, your master's in? 
I got my master's in educational leadership, K through 12, school administration, so I can eventually be a principal. And what, and that will be the direction you would go for your doctoral program? Yes. So I'm looking at maybe in the next three to five years, going into administration and leaving the classroom. That sounds really sad to say. Oh my gosh, I never like, I don't think I ever said it out loud. <laughs> yeah, you know, do you, and and this is another kind of off, do you think, do you think, you know, the the career teacher, like the, the teacher that stays in the classroom 25 mm-hmm. or 30 years, do you think that exists anymore? I don't, I don't even know. Like, I know there are teachers who have, who are in the classroom now, who've been teaching for like 25, 30, but I also have to remember like when they started. Right. I think, well, for one, a lot of people, they, they do want to make more money. And I think really that drives a lot of people's like upward mobility where they want to make more. Right. And then you have people on the other side who want to do more. And I think if you are a, a do more type person, you can find that fulfillment in the classroom. So maybe you will teach 20, 25, 30 years. But if you are a, like a make more type person, I don't think being in the classroom that long will give you that kind of fulfillment. Yeah. You know, and I just really, um, you know, uh, <laughs> oh man. Oh my, sorry. My roommate is just walking outside and I thought I was about to get robbed. So sorry that, <laughs> that, um, um, gosh, what was I saying? You, you know, the thing about it though, and the point I was going to try to make is just that I feel like, and maybe I don't know this cause I wasn't in the profession, but I feel like the new teachers coming out of college are so quick to be like in that program, like into that mm-hmm. next, next thing. And maybe when I was in high school, it, it just didn't seem like it or, Maybe a lot of the majority of my small small town teachers didn't, you know, have a master's because you know mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't feel like it was as much that, but that that was just a question that was kind of on my mind thinking about it because it's it just seems like you know every twenty two twenty three twenty four year old teacher that I meet is already like I just got out of college a year ago, but I'm gonna go back and get my master's and yeah, and you know there are a lot of teachers that I work with who have master's degrees, but they're still in the classroom. Yeah. So for some people, I think it's, it's more of like an accomplishment, or like an achievement, like something they wanted to do personally versus something they really wanted to do for advancement. Right. You know, and I, so and I, I guess it's all like in whatever you want to do with that. Right. And I think too, I mean, it depends on the state because like some states you get a lot more money for having a master's in teaching. And then, you know, there are states like, I don't think, you know, teachers in Texas who have a master's, I don't think they make that much more. So I think it would depend, Mm -hmm. depend on your state as well. So, all right, kind of trying to keep going, wrapping this thing up is, uh, what was the best advice you've ever been given? And that can be in the classroom or outside. So the best advice I've been given was by my grandfather. And at that time, it didn't really seem like advice, but the older I get and the more experiences I have, it's turned into the best advice. So he always used to say, one monkey doesn't stop a show. And over my life, that has really been something that's kept me grounded. One, 
I've learned that even if people don't hold up to their end of a bargain, like my life has to go on. So I can't let one person stop me from progressing and doing what it is I know I need to do. Also, like sometimes I've been the monkey in the show and I realize that I can't be everywhere all the time and I can't be everything to everybody. So right. even if I'm not there and I need to take time for myself, the show will still go on. Right. That, that you don't, Oh, I didn't. And, and when you said it, I didn't think of it that way. You know, that, that feeling of you have, you have to be there and say yes to everything yeah. and, and realizing and understanding that, you know, there are a lot. And I, I think a lot of brand new teachers, or at least me as a brand new teacher, I went through that where I thought I had to say yes to everything I was asked yep. to do. That was me. Gosh, then, that was me. Uh, and I, I got so tired so quickly. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, so. and I had to realize that, like, even no is a complete sentence. Like, yeah. it's okay to yeah. say no. It doesn't mm-hmm. make you any less of a teacher. It doesn't make you a bad teacher. But you also have to protect and look out for yourself. Yeah, and I and I a lot of I can't remember who I heard say it. I think it was on a in a book or on a podcast. Like, every no you say is saying yes to something. You know, it lets exactly. you say yes to something else. And and I think it's super important, like you said, for teachers to realize that. They have to say no to some to some things to be able to. Pri- you have to you have to prioritize yourself. Yeah, you have to do some things that are for yourself. So, all right. So, what what advice would you give a struggling teacher? And I know that's broad and you know not very specific, but you know just in general, like what advice would you give a struggling teacher? Any teacher who is struggling, ask for help. Like sometimes teachers can be some of the most prideful professionals. And we have to realize that it's okay to ask for help. We can appear to be masters of everything to our students, but even teachers need help sometimes. And I think one of the one of the most frequent messages I get on Instagram, most frequent type of messages I get on Instagram, is a teacher who just needs advice. And it's not always going to be somebody on your team or somebody in your building. But somebody out there has experienced whatever it is you're going through, whatever it is you're facing, and they've gotten through it. So just just ask, you know. Right, right, absolutely. That's that's great advice. So, um, last couple of questions before we get you out of here. What is your proudest accomplishment to date? My proudest accomplishment is moving out on my own. Like I think that was. That was the mark of the transitional period in my life where it was like, oh, crap, I'm an adult. I need to start, like, thinking like one. And I think, like, after I moved out and I paid, like, that first month's rent by myself, it kind of validated that I can do this. And that translated to a lot of different areas of my life. And that was also, like, right when I started teaching. So that even followed me to the classroom. Like, I got this. I'm an adult. I pay rent. I can handle kids. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's such a such a good one. Um, so yeah, before we ask you the final question and get you out of here, where can people follow you uh, that want to connect with you, either online or on social? So I am on Facebook as the Dapper Teacher, and I'm also on Instagram as the Dapper Teacher. I'm on Instagram way more than I'm on Facebook. So if you really want to contact me, just find me on Instagram, shoot me a message. Awesome. Awesome. That, like I said, man, uh, like I said earlier, we really appreciate the time and I really enjoyed the conversation. It's no been, problem. It's been great I've to thoroughly connect. enjoyed it. All right. So last question, what do you want your legacy to be? 
So to me, legacy is a really scary thing. Um, typically, like legacy comes at the end of somebody's tenure or something. So I, I really haven't thought that much about it, but I do know that I want to be remembered for doing something good and crazy for the state of education. I want in 30 years, students open up their textbook and there's like my picture and my name beside the person who like completely flipped the educational system on his head. Awesome. That's such a, such a great answer. And, and I'm, I'm glad we connected then because that's, you know, the path that we want to be on too. And I, and I really, I really feel like this is, this is the time that it's going to happen. I think the way the yeah. world is changing and, and, the way, like you coming back to what you said about students, the way people are really starting to advocate for themselves, that I think it's, and I and I really believe it's going to be teachers who just stand up and say, you know, this is what education really should be. I, I see it and I feel it like more and more every day, especially on Instagram. Like Instagram is a, it's a very, very strong community of teachers on Instagram. And they use their Instagrams not to only like post teaching related stuff, but they speak out on a lot of issues. And I really, really, really appreciate that. Yeah. Like I get, it's crazy because sometimes I'll get news from Instagram, like before I get it from my actual news station, because there are teachers out there, they are watching, they are taking notes and they are actually speaking out against what they want to see changed. And I think that's going to lead, I think it's going to trickle down. And it's going to lead to a whole ripple effect. And I think one day real soon, we'll see the changes that we're talking about. Absolutely, man. That's that's a perfect way to end it. So, John, appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you for having me.